<laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the newly named Halloween episode of Hanging Halloween. I'm your boy, Desecrator, and hopefully these stories are enough to keep you up at night. And with that being said, without further ado, this first story is titled The Simplicity of It All, and all credit goes to Andrew LaBelle. It's not the type of shower you take before a job interview. Maybe aiming for your cleanliness to impress somebody or someone supposedly worthy of impressing. Nor is it the type of shower you take after a long workout at the gym or after a jog, or after whatever it is that applies to you. No, you're in the bathroom right now, standing under the soothing beam of hot water with wisps of steam spiraling off your back because you've got nothing better to do tonight. And you like that squeaky clean feeling before hitting the hay. And although this isn't your first shower today, at least you can sleep easy knowing you're cleansed of the day's many stresses. Soap, shampoo, it's all there, but you don't so much as touch it. For now, you're just letting the water steam filter through your pores and enjoying the simplicity of it all. The lights go out. Startled, your feet squeal on the floor of the shower and you pause to make sure the sound was from your own. The sound of water hitting the floor in the dark. You feel as if you're not alone in the room, which is impossible because you're the only one in the house. The sound of the switch has been unmistakable. You stay under it, under the water, your one and only landmark. Feeling around, your hands meet the slippery shower tiles and you feel like a mine trapped in a blank box as you fumble for the adjacent wall. Then you grab the curtain. Finally, something real. Something you can touch that's now in front of you and will stay static as you reclaim your bearings. Outside the shower, something starts choking. You abruptly stop breathing, straining to hear. It's a gut-wrenching cough that wheezes in and out, and your hand freezes before recoiling back to your torso in shock. And in the middle of the bathwater rain noisily splashing by your feet, you hear its footsteps inching closer as it struggles to breathe. The thump of pads on the floor stepping closer you can do nothing but press your back against the wet wall behind you in paralysis. To the point where the sounds are less than a foot away from where you remember the curtain to be at your own level. That's when the lights come on and the choking stops. You shut off the water. All is quiet. You look to either side just in case, remembering all the horror movies you've seen in your entire life at this moment. Not a sound except the gurgling of the drain at your toes, sucking down the last of the water calmly, like it had been all in your head and none of this had happened. 
You're standing there, dripping wet and naked, when you realize you've got to step out of the shower and meet whatever's there, waiting on the other side of the curtain. <laughs> this next story is titled The Vintage Carousel, and all credit goes to James Hacking. <laughs> I grew up in a pretty crummy town, Nowheresville, a real one-horse piece of crap with a small municipal park that housed a vintage carousel since time immemorial. The same elderly guy sat in his little booth in the center no matter the weather. I would sometimes watch whilst the ornately painted wood horses paraded by him for the billionth time. He would always stare back at me and smile a little. Me and my friend Billy used to invent names for the old man when he was out of earshot. Immature stuff like horse's ass and prick draw McGraw. There wasn't much else to do around town. The park was essentially the only place for teenagers to hang out. Billy and I spent many a weekend hearing an endless loop of gaudy organ music which more than likely drove old Prick Draw McGraw insane a long, long time ago. Late one spring afternoon, we were in the park as usual, thinking up new monikers for old P.D., when he surprised us by emerging from his booth. This was a rare occurrence, and cheerfully waving us towards him. This carousel sure is beauty, ain't it? Say, did you cowboys ever hear the legend about why each horse is so darn pretty? Nah, sneered Billy. Enlighten us. Old P.D. leaned back against one of his trusty steeds and stared wistfully at us. Well, the story goes that each one of these beasts is secretly alive. But you only ever see the true form if you switch on the power after sunset. Why else do you think I never operate this old girl at night? That's a big pile of horse shit, <laughs> chuckled Billy. Which made me blush a little. I was a punk. A simp. But I minded my manners. PD gave us both his usual bland grin. You fellas shit mosey on home. It's getting late. I'd best call it a day. But we stuck around as Billy had decided to call the weird geezer's bluff, especially since he noticed that he sometimes absently minded left the key in the ignition of this ancient machine. And that night was such an occasion. We waited a couple of hours until it was good and dark, virtually pitch black, and then crept into the booth and began hitting random buttons and Levers fiddling with a rusty dial. Eventually, the thing sputtered to life. Quite literally. We didn't notice the screams at first, as the organ ditty was almost deafening from where we were standing. But we could clearly see enough. On every post where wooden horses had once stood were human beings, impaled 
Some through the chest, some through other parts of their body. Some wore old clothing, some even had faces I recognized. Locals who had vanished over the years. The cacophony was unbearable. Billy and I hugged each other, trapped in the epicenter. Somehow, over the dreadful noise, we heard Prick Draw's cackling voice. Reckon there's room for a couple more? <laughs> I guess you could say that story adds a new meaning to the phrase, time to pony up. These next two stories come from a user simply credited as Tater. This first story is titled, The Shadow Man. There have been many strange occurrences in our house since we moved in. It began with the little things, such as the smell of cigar smoke, which slowly turned into knocks and whispers, then to moving objects, and finally full-formed apparitions. There are three entities that my family has seen, the little girl, the man in uniform, and the shadow man. The shadow man seemed to be the most active of the three, so this story will be focusing on him. When we had first moved in, it started with seeing something peeking its head out from around the corner of the hallway, to seeing a full body apparition of a tall figure leaning up against the walls of our room, just standing there motionless. Over the course of a few years, the activity became a normal occurrence, with so often high spikes of things moving, electronics going off, and voices in the other room. My mother resorted to having the house blessed every so often to try to banish them or keep them away. It was only a temporary fix. At first it would work. The house felt calm and quiet, but the disturbances always came back. In the beginning, the shadow man was only seen from a distance. Over time, it's as though he became comfortable he began to appear closer and closer. One night, as I laid in bed, my face to the wall and back to the rest of the room, I began hearing heavy footsteps, slow but intentional. My family would jokingly try to scare each other from time to time for fun, so my mind instantly went to it being my father. The lights were off, and the only light source was from underneath my bedroom door where the lights in the living room shone through. I kept still thinking I could get one on my father before he got me. So I listened out for the footsteps until it sounded like they reached the head of my bed and stopped. I immediately turned around and sat up and tried to scare my father first. I was met with a black mass standing up, completely void of any light. I could see the outline of the light from underneath my door around it. It was solid. My heart dropped and I quickly reached over to turn on my lamp. There was nothing in the room when I turned back. He seemed to only like females because he never made himself known to my father. But for my mother and sister, it was worse. My mother would constantly mistake the shadow man for my father. She would follow what she thought was my father into the kitchen or living room only to find herself alone in the room. Other times, she would find him staring, leaning into my brother's baby crib. 
As for my sister, she would see him at times at the edge of her bed, just watching her. Other times, she would have sleep paralysis, waking up to the feeling of weight shift on her mattress. All she could do was watch as this entity would crawl onto her bed, slowly crawling over her, till she regained the use of her body and would get up and run out of the room. Years later, when my sister became pregnant, the activity escalated and became more violent. Things began to move around, dishes thrown off the table, doors opening and slamming shut. One night, my sister was sleeping. She was around six months pregnant. That night, she had a dream where she awoke to her looking down at herself from the ceiling. Standing next to her bed was the same shadowed figure we had all seen, just leaning over her, staring at her sleeping body. Slowly, the shadow raised its arm and began outstretching it towards her stomach. All my sister could do was watch as this happened. She was trying to scream and yell. Anything she could do to stop him from reaching her pregnant belly. He stopped midway and slowly turned his head to meet my sister's eyes as she stared down from the ceiling. She could not make out any facial features because this whole figure was a solid black mass. But she knew and felt he was looking straight into her eyes. She remained staring into the void that was his face. When he quickly extended his arms out to grab her, getting a hold of her arm, she shut her eyes and quickly woke from this nightmare. She looked over to where the figure had been standing, but he was not there. She turned on all the lights in her room and left him on the rest of the night. As she tried to calm herself down, she looked at her arm, where the figure had grabbed her. She looked, and there were three long scratches. Again, that story comes from a user simply credited as Tater. Their second story of the night is titled, The Girl in the Tub. In the old days, brujeria was a very strong part of our town. My great-grandmother was considered a healer. She was very active within her circle, and many people would come to her for help. My grandfather was the only grandchild at the time, so she took him everywhere. He was always by her side. One instance he told me about was on a hot summer day. This woman and what looked to be her daughter began frantically banging on his grandmother's door, pleading for her to help. The mother held on to her daughter, who looked frail with grayish skin, slightly slumped over her arm. Opening the door, his grandmother brought them inside and told my grandfather to go outside, away from the house, and to stay there until she said so. After being outside so long in the blistering Texas heat, of the afternoon, he needed a place to sit in the shade. He slowly walked back to around the house where he found refuge by his grandmother's wooden shed. Hidden in the shade of the trees, he sat there for a minute, cooling off, welcoming the hot, dry breeze. When he began to hear what sounded like dry heaving or choking, it was coming from within the shed. My grandfather paused to hear, 
All he could hear was low, rhythmic muttering. The choking sound intensified. He could hear someone splashing in water and their screams muffled by something. Curiosity got the best of my grandfather, even though his grandmother warned him about coming close to her shed. He just needed to know what was going on. He slowly traced around the shed till he found a gap in between two wooden boards. Peering in, his eyes widened at the scene. The young girl was writhing in a tub filled with water and herbs floating all around her. She was choking, clawing at her throat while his grandmother was chanting words he couldn't understand. Occasionally hitting the girl with some branch of leaves, he watched the mother in the corner crying. After what seemed like hours, the girl finally expelled a giant black ball of what looked to be long black human hair. His grandmother carefully picked it up and placed it in a bowl filled with herbs and took it away. The girl slumped back into the tub from exhaustion, taking short labored breaths, staring blankly at the ceiling. When his grandmother returned, she helped the girl out of the tub and spoke to both the woman and the little girl. My grandfather wasn't able to hear what was said to them. Shortly after they left, besides looking exhausted, the little girl's color and strength had already somewhat returned as she was able to walk out unassisted. This next story is titled Mommy Dearest and all credit goes to Ian O'Grady. As Julie began to regain consciousness, she knew something wasn't right. She started to panic as she realized she was strapped to a table. A big bright light beamed down onto her face, blinding her as silhouettes moved silently around her. The silhouettes began to whisper. She's perfect, Daddy. Thank you. Julie tried to scream, but the gag in her mouth muffled her cries. Julie heard a little girl giggle as something began to brush her hair. She then heard another giggle in the corner in front of her. Only two hours before, Julie was responding to an ad on Craigslist looking for a live-in nanny. And the last thing she remembered was ringing the doorbell. As the whispers continued, the light switched off, leaving Julie with blind spots that covered the face of what appeared to be a man peering down at her. As the blind spots began to disappear and her eyes readjusted, she was greeted by a frail old man with a toothless grin. And behind him sat two dolls. They were life-size dolls and beautifully dressed. I want to introduce you to my little girls. On the right is Masha. Oh, and on the left is Dasha. The man rasped. Say hello to your new mommy, girls. giggled the two dolls. She couldn't help but notice that even though the sound appeared to come from the dolls, 
They never moved. My girls need a mummy, said the old man as he moved over behind the dolls, rubbing their hair as he stared at Julie. The old man moved clumsily to the table where Julie was strapped and removed the gag from her mouth. Please don't scream. It will scare the girls, he said. Julie knew if there was a chance someone could hear her, she had to take it. Julie began screaming at the top of her lungs. Make her stop, Daddy, sounded a voice coming from the doll's vicinity. As Julie screamed for her life, the old man began raining blows down upon her head. For a frail old man, he really is strong, she thought as the blows kept on coming. He only stopped once Julie began to lose consciousness. After she faded in and out, her captor left the room, leaving her alone with the two dolls sitting across from her. As Julie laid there, she imagined how she might escape the clutches of the crazy old man and the creepy dolls. As she frantically tried to free herself from the straps, she suddenly heard a noise behind her. Julie's eyes darted to the chair where the dolls were sitting. They were gone. Then, she heard a patter of tiny footsteps just behind her. You're a bad mommy. <laughs> Giggled a voice from behind. Julie was stunned by fear. For a moment, she felt the porcelain hand of one of the dolls stroking her face. The feeling was soon replaced by that of a cold hard steel blade slipping in just beneath her chin. Nighty night, mommy. <laughs> Sleep tight. Sounds like Julie already put her neck on the line on that one. This next and final story is titled The Reaper's Scythe. And all credit goes to Tobias Wade. There is no fear as potent as the fear of the unknown. No monstrous visage discovered yet has been as terrifying as the infinite potential for horror which exists before the mask is removed. That is why we humans, in our naive misunderstanding of the universal order, are gripped by the mortal fear of death. We think it the final frontier, the greatest imaginable unknown from whose prenumbral shores no traveler may return. As we so cling desperately on to even the most dreary and anguished of lives, suffering any known of evil over our release into the beyond, but death is not to be feared because death is very well understood. We have witnessed it, caused it, measured and recorded it to the last dying spasm of neuronal flickering. Even as I lay dying, it seems silly to me that I should be afraid of the emptiness which reason promised to expect. While I was alive, I wouldn't experience death, so there was no reason to be afraid now. When I was dead, I wouldn't be capable of experiencing anything, so fear still had no cause. That thought brought me great comfort, 
as I felt the last erratic struggle from my heart against the inevitable conclusion I approached. It wasn't until I was finally drifting off to sleep that a final intrusive doubt bubbled in my brain. What if it isn't death which is to be feared? What if it's what lies beyond? And so troubled did I slip beyond mortal understanding, stepping into a world as far forsaken by reason as I was now from life. I was still in the hospital room, but the bustle of nurses and the beeping machines lost their opacity as though I was mired into swiftly descending dusk. It seemed as though every sound was an echo of what it once was. Every sight a reflection, with each passing moment the world has become less real. But all that sight and sound, all that being, it wasn't simply disappearing. It was transforming into a figure beside me. The less real my room became, the more real the figure was. Until presently it existed in such sharp actuality that nothing besides it seemed real at all. His cloak was black, not the color black, but its essence. It was though seeing a tiger after seeing a lifetime of children's crude drawings and thinking that's all a tiger really was. Reality flowed around his scythe like a brush through watercolors, and I could see each elementary particle and each time itself sunder across its blade. Surely this, I thought, this is why we were taught without words to fear death. I clutched at my hospital blanket to cower from the intensity of the reaper's presence, but the once soft cotton now flowed like translucent mist through my hands. I knew in that moment that nothing could hide me from the specter's grasp, for he was the only real thing left in my world. You're late. They weren't my words. My head ached from the drain of this knowledge as my lateness was burned into my awareness, imparted like an inescapable laws of physics and unequivocal as gravity. We don't have time for the usual speech. Hurry now. I felt myself swept up around him like dirt in a hurricane. Before I knew what was happening, we were outside the hospital, moving at such a frenzied pace that the world around me blurred into a dizzying tunnel of flashing lights. If you're lucky, it will have gotten bored of waiting for you. I had too many questions, all fighting for attention in the forefront of my brain without any making their way out. You're quiet. I admire that. Usually people ask too much. What's the point? I asked. My voice fell flat and dead compared to his overwhelming substance. How can I try to comprehend something so beyond my mortal knowledge? You can't, but it is still human nature to ask. We weren't slowing. If anything, our pace was increasing. I wasn't running or flying or anything of that nature. It was more like the rest of the world was moving around us while we stood still. A vague darkness and a heavy damp smell made me guess that we'd gone underground, but I couldn't say for sure. One question then, I asked. What else is here besides you? 
and that is why questions are pointless. Death is not a place. Death is not a person. It is all there is. Troubling thought, but made more so by the growling howl which began reverberating the rocks around me. We still seemed to be descending into the earth, and the air was growing warmer and denser now. The sound continued to mount as though the world itself was suffering. Then what is it? What I'm here to protect you from. The rock split from a flash of his sight, and the ground opened further into a sprawling cavern dominated by a subterranean lake. But I thought you said you were all there is. No, I said death was all there is. We weren't moving any longer. Light glinted off the scythe from some unseen force and streamed into the lake like a tributary. Once inside, the light didn't reflect or dissipate, but swirled and danced like luminescent oil. I thought you were death. Death is not a person. The light was taking a life of its own inside the water. The still surface began to churn with the enigmatic energy. It took my shattered mind a long way to realize that I was the energy flowing into the lake. I still felt tangled up with the figure, but now we existed as a beam of light boiling into the water. I knew I wouldn't understand, but that didn't stop me from feeling frustrated. If death is all there is, then what is it? What was waiting for me? The water pressed around me and I couldn't speak, although I could still draw breath somehow. It is here. Something was in the water around me. Hands grabbed me by the legs and began dragging me downward. I was amazed to even discover I had limbs again. They felt so alien to me that it almost as though this body was not my own. Lights flashed from the scythe, then again. The hands let go, and the howling rose once more. The reaper was fighting something, although I couldn't make any sense of the battle except for the madness of thrashing water. The howling earth reached its crescendo, and the screams made the water around me convulse and contract like living fluid. Had the reaper cut it? Was I safe? I began to explore my new body in the water. But just when I thought I was beginning to gain control, the hands clutched me once more. I lurched downward, struggling in vain against their implacable grip. What is here? I tried to shout out against the suffocating liquid. What is happening? But I couldn't sense the reaper's presence any longer. The heat was unbearable, but the cold depths the hands were dragging me down towards was even worse. I became aware of blinding light at the bottom of the lake, and though I struggled, the hands dragged me inexorably inward. I'm sorry, I couldn't fight it off. It seemed to be coming from so far away now. We will try again next time. The pressure, the heat, the noise, the hands dragging me into the blinding light. I closed my eyes and I screamed. I was free from the water now but I just kept screaming. I couldn't bear to look at it. Whatever had stolen me. Whatever was death, but wasn't. Whatever the reaper couldn't defeat. Then words spoke. 
real human words from a real human mouth. My senses were so distraught that I couldn't make sense of them, but I'm guessing they were something like, Congratulations, he's a healthy baby boy. Most people can't remember the day they die or the day they were born. I happen to remember both. And I know that they are the same. And with that, that concludes today's episode of Hanging Halloween. Hopefully the stories were spooky and you'll keep coming back for more. As always, I'm your boy Desecrator. Happy Halloween to all my ghouls and gals. (laughs) 